The, t- the title of um, our message today is, What Do You Hear? <laughs> what Do You Hear? So we're looking at 1 Kings chapter 18. And we find that uh, Elijah is in this battle with King Ahab and Queen Jezebel and the prophets of Baal. So we'll start reading at verse uh, 26 and um, verse 25. 1 Kings 18, verse 25. Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, There are many of you, so you, so you go first, choose a bull and prepare it, but don't start your fire. So as we start in this kind of in the middle of a text or the middle of a, of a uh, scenario that's going on, the history of this region there is, uh, is polytheism. They have many gods. There are many gods that they worship and, you know, there's statues and so on, and many of them have their prophets. Well, Baal is a, the god of, I guess it's god of lightning and uh, rain or thunder, and, and so you know, he, he's that God, and what happens is he, these prophets are, are following that God, their, their statues. But there were many different gods that they worshipped, and they always had room for more. <laughs> so if you came up with a new God, because they didn't want to leave anybody out. You know, it's almost like the Greeks, uh, whenever Paul goes to, um, slipped my mind, when he goes to the city and Athens, I think it is, when he goes there, there, are, there is a place where all the gods have statues, and there's one where there is no statue, and that's to the unknown god. <laughs> they just didn't want, didn't want to offend anybody. Well, uh, in this situation, there are, they have room for many gods, but they don't have room for the prophets of God, the true prophets that represent Jehovah, the God of Israel. Well, the... Um, Seeing that there is a, a welcoming of any false prophet or any false religion or any, any, any new god because you don't want to offend them, we have that these prophets of Baal, they were um, designated the religion of the empire, <laughs> the religion of Israel. So the prophets of Baal then were for hire <laughs> to King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. Well, they have been on the rampage, as it were, killing all the prophets of Jehovah. Because the prophets of Jehovah, like Elijah, would not go along with the programs of the king. <laughs> so what the false gods would do, these false prophets, they would find, the king would bring them in and say, okay, this is my agenda, this is what I want to do. And so then these people would go out and they would prophesy that you know, their gods had said that the king is he's, he's right and everything he should do. So there's all, the, you know, they're, so they're just off and going for hire. You know? So if they're worshiping these gods, then, then uh, worshiping Baal, it was the king's responsibility to pay for them. <laughs> So they had their for hire uh, message that they would bring to the, to the nation of Israel. So it was like their way of um, telephone, telegraph, you know, <laughs> put it in a newspaper, broadcast it over the, over the airwaves. Well, they didn't have any of that, so the prophets of Baal would get together and then they would spread the message of the king and declaring this is the, this is the will of God, the will of Baal. 
So the prophets then, like Elijah, <laughs> Ahab and Jezebel, they were wicked kings and queen, uh, wicked king and queen, and they would they would always be prophesying against them that this is not the will of God. Well, there were more prophets of Baal, so they just started killing off <laughs> all of the prophets of Jehovah. Well. Then we have here where they show up at Mount Carmel. Now, I've been fortunate enough to be on Mount Carmel. <laughs> it's, a, it's kind of a, well, it rises 1,600 feet above uh, the sea level, and the Mediterranean Sea is not that far away. And below is the valley that extends at the Valley of Megiddo that you know, talks about um, Armageddon and things like that. This valley extends for miles. And that valley, when it rains, becomes filled with water. You know, it's like everything funnels in there and it becomes a, uh, it can become a, a, mud, a mud hole, I guess. So when later on, when um, we talk about the, the sound of the abundance of rain and Elijah tells King Ahab to get going because if it starts raining and all that water gets in that valley, you're not going to get through. So, But anyhow, this valley then... Uh, is, you know, it's 1,500, 1,600 feet. And when you're standing up there, it's almost like a straight drop-off uh, down to the 1,600 feet down to the valley. And there, at the time I was there, there's this small creek that goes along the bottom, and there are a lot of springs that are there. So they are at Mount Carmel, and Elijah calls for this meeting. All right, you want to kill all the prophets of God? There's all of you, and there's just one of me. So let's have a showdown. Let's see whose God is really God. So he gathers the prophets of Baal together, the prophets of Asher, and all these, these, these priests. They eat at um, Queen Jezebel's table. <laughs> so, you know, the, she not only feeds them lunch, she feeds them ideas. So... They, Elijah had two bulls, gives one to, the, one to the prophet of Baal, and he keeps one for himself. So, verse 26. So the prophets, the prophets of uh, Baal, took the bull that was given to them and prepared it. They started praying to Baal and prayed until noon. All right, so they've prepared the animal, and you think, if you think about it, generally these altars, well, the altar that... Um, Elijah talks about, is a stone altar, almost like a table. And then they place the wood on top of that, and then they put the sacrifice on top of that. So we're thinking, thinking that um, Baal's altars that the prophets are speaking of, or something similar to that. And they're praying until noon, and nothing's happening. And they said, Baal, please answer us. <laughs> when sometimes I hear... Uh, Whenever we pray, where people pray, they'll say, you know, it's like, please, God, you know. It's like begging. And God doesn't want, God never says anywhere for us to beg. He says to ask. There's a difference. Begging is like we're trying to appeal to the mercy of someone. God's already extended mercy to us. We don't have to beg. He has given us a privilege to enter into the very throne room of God. He walks with us. He abides within our hearts. So we're not trying to appeal to some emotional response in order for, to get God's attention and, and come and answer our prayers. But for Baal, 
Hmm, that was a different story. Please answer us. But there was no sound. No one answered. Then they began jumping around on the altar <laughs> that they had built. So it's almost like they are willing to be a sacrifice consumed by the fire from heaven, and they jump on the altar, and they've got these. It, it's actually, the, the words are more like a frenzied dance. They were almost going nuts. <laughs> and so they were chanting, and all were trying to get the attention of, God, of their god, Baal. Now, at noon, verse 27... At noon, Elijah began to make fun of them. (laughs) Yeah, I like Elijah. (laughs) He's he's quite the man. One of the great one of the great prophets uh, of the Old Testament, and uh, he. We see in him his the human the humanness that he has. But we also see in Elijah this divine, this, you know, yes and no God. You know, it's like, it's, it's one, one way or the other. There's no, there's no in between. And so Elijah is this, you know, it's going to be one way. God is the God who answers by fire, let him be God. So Elijah makes fun of the, the um, prophets of Baal. If Baal really is a God, maybe you should pray louder. So they're already in a frenzied dance, yelling and screaming. Maybe he is busy. Now, think of this in a sarcastic way, but the, the, um, many of the Canaanite and Mesopotamian and Grecian gods were under, they were thought to possess human qualities. You know, they weren't, they weren't divine. They were divine, but they had a lot of human qualities. So Elijah is taunting them because if you ask them, well, why isn't, why isn't Baal answering? Well, maybe he's sleeping. No, he, maybe he's taking a break. Maybe he's off somewhere. So rather than give them giving him the excuse that their God is, can't be reached at this time, leave a message, it's a you know, recording. So uh, he calls and he says, maybe he's busy. Maybe he's thinking about something. <laughs> he can't hear you. He's too busy. Or maybe he stepped out for a moment. He could be sleeping. Maybe you should pray louder and wake him up. <laughs> you know, sometimes I, I liken this to whenever people pray and wonder, well, maybe, you know, I don't want to bother God with too much. You know, <laughs> I have a whole list of requests. I only give him 10 out of 50, okay? Because I don't want to overburden God. Well, that's nice, but that's not God's character. That's not who he is. He's not overburdened. If, he, if, all, you know, if all the people in the world, those who are living and ever, lived, ever have lived and ever will live, pray at the same time God can give to everyone his undivided attention. So we're seeing here the difference between a false God and the real. Verse 28. So the prophets of Baal, they prayed louder. Well, now they start cutting themselves with swords and spears. And this was a way that they worshipped, you know, cutting and um, bleeding all over the altar, proving, how, proving their dedication. They're willing to offer. You see, the idea is that um, this desperate attempt is that if you can shed blood, you will get the attention of the gods. 
So that's where I think they came up with the idea of human sacrifices. That you, you know, offering children or offering people to God and killing them for, to get, their, get the God's attention or get them to appease. But we know that the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of Elijah, that when Abraham uh, took Isaac to the mountain, he was going there to offer him as a sacrifice, but God stopped him. Now, this is a picture of Jesus and God the Father offering Christ as the sacrifice. He bore the wood on his back into the, into the altar and presented himself. He laid on the altar as a willing sacrifice for his father. But God stopped him. What that prevented, not only is a picture of Jesus Christ, but it pictured that God did not want human blood sacrifice. There is only one sacrifice that was sufficient, the blood of Jesus Christ. So this shows us how that the ancient gods wanted blood to get their attention, but the blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, is the only sacrifice that God requires. The afternoon, verse 29. The afternoon passed, but the fire still had not started. The prophets were out of control and continued to act this way until the time came for the evening sacrifices. So basically they have been at this all day. Nothing happened. There was no answer from Baal. There was no sound. There was no one listening because stones and pieces of wood cannot speak and they cannot answer. The gods of this world offer nothing more for the people of this world. These gods want human sacrifices, the gods of this world. They want addictions, they want lies, they want murder, they want chaos. They want to rob people of life and the true meaning of life. And we find that it's all about self, selfishness, self-interest, and getting ahead no matter what it costs. Drug addictions. <laughs> the people who make these drugs and sell them think, are thinking of nothing more than themselves and their money and their profits and how that they're going to get ahead. It doesn't matter how many lives are destroyed. It matters only how much wealth I can, I can bring in. You know, if there's, there's a movie about this one individual years ago who was a transporter of narcotics and things. He had his house... He could not find any more room to put money. He had it stashed in his closets. He had it, you know, tables were full of it. He had it buried in the backyard. He had so much, he had no idea how much cash he had. And, you know, just continuing to fly drugs. And, you know, what could he do with all of that? He couldn't even spend it. But it was that he had how powerful he was. Well, that all collapsed on him. So when... The enemy of our soul stands at the door and knocks. We don't want, we do not want to open it. So the prophets of Baal, again, there was no answer. There was no answer from these, for these prophets. Verse 30. Elijah said to all the people, Now come here. So they gathered around Elijah. 
The Lord's altar had been torn down, so Elijah repaired it. The, the Elijah's altar, the altar of God, was torn down. These rival gods, <laughs> rival prophets, they would, they would go and tear down the altars or burn the palaces or burn the temples of these other gods, proving that they had more power than them. You see, <laughs> the, the fight in those at that time period, just like um, Moses taking the children of Israel out of Egypt, Pharaoh thought he was a god. And when they talked about the God of Israel, Pharaoh would laugh because they're slaves. I'm Pharaoh. I own them. I'm greater than their God. Well, he found out that he wasn't. And so it was like that when they went to battles. There is, there's a scripture, there's a song that God is the God of the valley and not only the God of the mountaintop. The scripture that goes with that is that when Israel fought their enemies and the one battle that this great battle they fought was on the mountaintops and they defeated their enemies, the prophets of the, of the places that they defeated, those prophets told their kings the God of Israel is only the God of the mountains. So if we attack them in the valley, they're going to lose. So they gathered their armies, and the next year they went back to war, and they fought them in the valley. <laughs> and they lost. <laughs> because God is a God of the valley and of the mountains. You see, there is no place that God <laughs> is not able to defeat the enemy. So there's no place in our lives that God is not able to defeat the enemy. When Elijah had all the people, he said, to come here, and the Lord's altar had been torn down. So tearing down God's altar then was a, a way of proving that they were superior to the God of, uh, of Elijah. Verse 31. Elijah found 12 stones. Well, we know what that represents. Each stone represented one of the, the, the tribes of Israel. There was one stone, it says, one stone for each tribe, and these 12 tribes were named for the 12 sons of Jacob, the man who the Lord had named Israel. So rebuilding the altar was rebuilding and unifying all those individuals who were standing around. Because Elijah would have named, as it were, each tribe as he put a stone in place to build this altar and this table. So everyone that was around belonged to one of the foundations that were, that were established there of this altar. It's kind of like the parallel that goes that we are part of the body of Christ. That every one of us is part of the body of Christ. So the, the, the bride of Jesus Christ is you, the church. That it talks about we being living stones in the, in the building of God's house. <laughs> so we are all part of this. So when Christ, you know, when we hurt, God hurts. Jesus hurts. When we pray, he hears our prayers. And God is at work in the, in the situation, either working through us or around us and putting things in motion so that all things will work together for good. In our Sunday school lesson, Satan's desire was to get Jesus to the cross. 
God's desire was to take Jesus, lead Jesus to the cross. Satan thought he was destroying. God was providing a plan to save the world. Satan lost. (laughs) So in our life, we see that Satan has a plan, but you know God has a greater plan. Listen to the Sunday school lesson. It's a very good one. It's about Jesus in the garden and all the different Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, their accounts of what happened in the garden of Gethsemane. Verse 33. Then Elijah put the wood on the altar. He cut the bull into pieces and laid the pieces on the wood. Verse 34. Then he said, Fill four jars with water. Pour the water on the pieces of meat and on the wood. Then Elijah said, do it again. They, then he said, do it a third time. <laughs> so Elijah built a trench around here. So what he's doing is making it impossible for this to burn. That's the point that we need to know, that when things are impossible, it doesn't mean a thing to God. When we think things are impossible, they are made impossible by the situations of life, by other people, by their ideas and philosophies, and your life doesn't seem to be making it, or somebody else's life is off course, and it seems like it's impossible. Hey, that's firm soil. That's a firm place for God to do the the impossible. It could be as much as 50 gallons of water were gotten and poured on the the sacrifices. Either they got the water from the Mediterranean Sea or they got it from the springs around Mount Carmel, Carmel, but they doused that with water. So the the water ran down off the altar and filled the ditch. About the time of the afternoon sacrifice, God has divine timing. It wasn't at noon. It was the time of the evening sacrifice. Jesus died on Passover. (laughs) Remember in Egypt, they put the lamb, the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of the homes so the angel of death would pass over the children of Israel. They celebrated that, and Jesus died at Passover, the lamb of God whose blood would be put upon the doorpost of our homes. It was at Passover. This was at the time of the evening sacrifice. And so um, at the time of the afternoon sacrifice, the prophet Elijah approached the altar and prayed. (laughs) He didn't dance. He didn't cut himself. He did not whip himself up into a frenzy. He He didn't create an uncontrollable emotional atmosphere he approached the altar and he prayed. Remember last week when God says to Solomon, what shall I give you? Ask. He didn't tell him to do all kinds of contortions and, and rituals and dances and, and prove that he is, what can I do for you? Ask. What does Elijah do? Lord God of Abraham and Jacob, I ask you now, I ask, 
See how simple? <laughs> ask. I ask you now to prove that you are the God of Israel and that I am your servant. Prove. 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 People say, well, we shouldn't challenge God. We're not challenging God. We're giving God an opportunity. Now, we can't do that every time. Prove that you're God. You know, do this for me. And the next time we pray, we'll say, well, prove it again. <laughs> if we don't have it in our heart, proving is not going to make it work. But the idea here is there is a time and a place for the ask, and this is the ask of proving. <laughs> and this was the time for this particular miracle. And he says, I am your servant, reminding himself, not reminding God, reminding himself that I am your servant and show these people it was you who commanded me to do these things. I am your prophet. I speak for you, God. I don't speak for the king. I don't speak for the queen. I speak for God. You, prove to these people that I speak for you. Verse 37. This is Elijah speaking. Lord, answer my prayer. Show these people that you, Lord, are God and that you are the one who is bringing them back to you. It's all about bring, the sign, the miracle, is about glorifying the Father. Last week's sermon. The answer to our prayer is not about us. This is really not about Elijah. This is about God proving himself to all those who, are, who have wandered away. It's about glorifying the Father. Verse 38. The fire came. Wow. Then the fire came down from, from the Lord and burned the sacrifice. It's not enough. He burned the wood. <laughs> it's not enough. He burned the stones. <laughs> it's not enough. He burned the water. But all was gone in the fire of God. <laughs> the irony, remember the god Baal <laughs> was supposedly in control of the lightning, the fire, and the rain. <laughs> when Moses was put in the basket in the river Nile, he was put in the in the in the in the hands, as it were, of the Nile God, the God of the Nile, because that's one of the gods that the Egyptians worshipped. And here is the salvation of God resting in the mouth of the river Nile, and it is there that the, the God of Egypt can't touch him. And he's even raised in Pharaoh's court. Or, yeah, in Pharaoh's court. The task was impossible. God went beyond the starting of a fire. He is the fire. <laughs> he is the fire that rages and comes into our lives and burns up the dross, the, the, the sin and the things that would destroy our lives. And God comes in and he burns it up. The fire of the Spirit. Verse 39. All the people saw this happen and bowed down to the ground and began saying, The Lord is God. The Lord is God. Boom. The miracle is a what? is about glorifying the Father, not glorifying the prophet. Can we see the answer to our prayer 
as glorifying the Father? Just take the focus off of us or off of the person and see beyond what we're looking at and how that this miracle that God will perform in your life and the lives for whom you pray is about glorifying the Father. He will receive glory and honor from our lives. Then Elijah said, get up, gather all the prophets of Baal, and we are going to <clears throat> kill them all. We would think that that's not a good thing, but in those days, it's exactly what they needed to do. Then Elijah said to King Ahab, verse 41, Now go and eat and drink. A heavy rain is coming. I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. It hasn't rained in Israel for three years. It hasn't rained for three years. So when the prophet Elijah heard God say in his spirit, Tell the king, I've heard the sound of the abundance of rain. Tell the king to get moving because that valley is going to become impassable in just a short period of time. Everywhere you look, it was a dry and bitter place of drought. But you hear something from God in your spirit that says, it's going to rain. I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. Our concern is, if we tell somebody, they'll think you're crazy. <laughs> but he knew, he knew what God had said. In a drought, in a drought, do you know what God talks about? Rain. <laughs> in a time when you don't have anything, when you have lack, what does God talk about? Abundance. When you feel insignificant and not important, what does God talk about? Greatness. He speaks to you in your spirit about what is coming. He speaks to us in our heart about what is the opposite of the circumstances that we face. When we think it's impossible, God is saying, no, it's not imp impossible. You know, give glory to the Father for the answer to your prayer. You see, it's not enough just to believe. The devils believe. But God wants us to speak, to say, what is it that you need? Say. What is it that you want God to do for you? Remember, glorify the Father. Say it to God. You see, your words, <laughs> your words are creating. You are, you know, just like God spoke into existence the world. He breathed into us and made us a living soul. And so whenever we speak, we need to watch our words and not create the opposite of what we want. It's defeated, I can't do this, can't. No, speak about what God is challenging you to do and what's in your heart. One other thing. I, I thought, you know, when, when Eli Elijah starts running, he outruns uh, Ahab to Jezreel, which is about 40 miles. <laughs> he outruns him. But Elijah becomes depressed. He gets down on himself. And he starts calling out to God, why? I'm the only one left. 
Everybody else is dead. There's only me. The great prophet of God who has heard from God these many things, God says, Elijah, step outside. <laughs> and so God comes, he says, God stood, God stand in front of me on the mountain, and I, the Lord, will pass before you. This is what the Lord said to Elijah. Go stand in the mountain, and I will pass before you. Now, often, and you think about this, we have these concepts of what we think God should be how God should do things. So here is Elijah stepping out. God's coming. How does God come? There's an earthquake. It is, you know, I've never seen, I've only heard it on TV, but there the earthquake was so great that the stones were breaking. You know, God's not there. The fire. Oh, there's this fire. It's burning. It's heat. God's not there. Wind. (laughs) People say that in a tornado, it sounds like a freight train coming down the road. And there's, God wasn't in that. And then there was a quiet. That's the one I've always kind of skipped over. Because quiet, we just think, oh, everything gets calm. No. This is a quiet. If you ever, I, was, I was in a recording studio once. I remember stepping into the recording room, and they, they closed the doors. And it was so different. Everything was sound absorbing. It was almost like all of the air had been sucked out of the room and there was nothing there. Not even breathing. It just, it's like they sucked the air out of the room. There was this quiet. So here you have the lightning, or you have the, the earthquake, the fire, and the wind, and then you have a complete calm. And then there's this still, small voice that God starts talking to Elijah about. His future and what he has called him to do. That's where I think we are sometimes caught up in the theatrics, in the whatever it is that takes our distraction, takes ourselves away from the true purpose of being with God. That quietness in our soul that spirit inside of us, the Holy Spirit, that tells us and calls us to say and to ask, what do you want? Because when the answer is given, it glorifies the Father. It's not about us. It's about God. So when we pray, believe that God will be glorified in everything that the answer to that prayer brings. What do you hear? What do you hear? I hear silence. And in that silence, I hear the scripture. I hear the word. I hear the voice of God. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I've sensed the presence of God, that he is with me, that I abide in you and you in me. In that silence, I hear only believe, have faith, and see the hand of God. Can we hear it? Thank you, Jesus, for hearing our prayers, for speaking your word to our hearts. We are so human. We are so frail. 
God, sometimes we're just so set in our ways that we think we can't change. But God, you change us from the inside. You give us insight. You give us understanding. You give us the desire for your prayers to be spoken by us and brought into existence through faith and through knowledge that God will hear us when we pray. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing our prayers. Let us hear your voice that speaks your word, your scripture, into our minds and hearts. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. God bless you.